How's everybody? Good. I hope y'all didn't see that. I'm sorry, Brother Troy. I was uh, walking up with your son, just kind of messing with him. I started walking fast. He walked faster, and then he started running. I was like, well, Brother Troy probably doesn't want him <laughs> running in church, but I mean, my bad. <laughs> but Andrew will tell you, I'm a very bad influence. So, <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what you want to hear from your Sunday school teacher before you get started on Sunday morning, ain't it? <laughs> oh, all right. Jim Busby, good to have you, brother. You want to lead us in prayer? Did you just lead us in prayer? All right, we'll do it again, all right? <laughs> Amen. Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Who can tell me what we talked about last time? Jim? Donald? <laughs> we called out somebody else that wasn't here. Nimrod and the flood, yeah. Miss Amanda, you remember? Okay, you, you wouldn't hear either way. Bad when a preacher's wife misses church. That just went out on the internet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's why we don't have microphones in the pews. Sometimes I think I'd like them, and then her and Misty says something, and I'm reminded that we don't need them. All right. We talked about Nimrod and the flood. What in the world were we talking about Nimrod and the flood in Revelation chapter 17 for? Anybody remember? Yeah. Why are we talking about that? (laughs) Resignation of Babylon. That's where you knew that, didn't you? Yeah, thank you, Warren. I appreciate that. I'm going to get some gold stars if it'll help you all talk and uh, give everybody a gold star if they'll say something. But um, that's, that's, that's where we were. We were talking about Babylon and how this, this woman and what we've already, I'm, I'm not going to go back over it all, what she represents and what she might, might represent, what she doesn't. And if you agree with me, fine. If you don't, I don't, it don't matter. Just whatever. I mean, find the Bible and read it and figure out what you think. And I'll be just fine. Um, you know, keep, keep things straight. You know, keep Scripture with Scripture. Um, and, and you'll be fine. But I do believe it, it's a physical city. But I also, again, believe it represents that last political system and the last spiritual system. Not just the last, but all through the ages. The spiritual system that has been against God. And that's what we talked about. This Babylon, how could... How could Babylon infect the world? And we, we went back and looked at, hey, that, the original Babel was builded by Nimrod. And we know what happened there. They tried to build that tower to get to God another way than the way God said to. And God came down and dispersed them, basically. He had already told them to disperse and go and, and populate the earth, and they didn't do it. So he came down and conf- uh, confused the languages there. And they dispersed. And so they took those religious systems, or that religious system, with them into all the earth. And that's kind of how I think it talks about this woman infecting all of the earth. And so as we continue to look at this woman, I think we got maybe, maybe one more verse here. And I'm still struggling to pray for me with what to do with my notes. I go ahead and do the slides because some people still want them. And that's what I've got up here with me, but I don't. I don't know how to get through, how to turn them and everything so I can stay with it. So uh, I'm probably going to skip a lot, but that'll be fine. 
Let's look at verse. Let's look at verse. Well, let's just start in Revelation 17, 1. We can put in right there. We've done that the last couple of, of uh, classes. <clears throat> and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials <clears throat> and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Talked about that. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written. I'm going to say this every time we read it. It just seems like she's not even ashamed of it. It's written right there on her forehead for everybody to see. And, you know, that's, that's where we are today. People are not ashamed of sin anymore. I've talked to people this week about things like that. It, you're just not, they're not ashamed of it. I mean, look at what's being pumped out. I mean, have y'all seen the floodgates open since January? I mean, my goodness. Can you imagine when the church is gone? Because there are still good people trying to fight this. What about if those are saved when we're all gone? What's it going to do? You know, with the church here and the spirit uh, withholding, we see that blow up like that. Can you imagine when that's not in place and that has been removed and it's allowed to go? So anyway, people aren't ashamed of their sin anymore. And this, this, this woman, this system, not, not ashamed of it, upon her forehead was... A name written, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. We talked about that. And abominations of the earth. Now look at verse 6. <clears throat> and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So this woman is drunk with the blood of the saints. And the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. What do you think that means? I need a second to redo my, take this staple out. Yeah. What, what is, what is, what is a saint? What is a saint? I mean, I hear about it, you know, especially you watch these movies and stuff, or you, if you know anybody that's Catholic, they're always praying to their saints. <clears throat> yes, sir. So I want to put a distinction there. I ain't, I'm not talking about these little... <clears throat> I'm going to say this. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to say this, and don't get me wrong. I mean it. I don't mean any disrespect necessarily, but I'm not talking about these false idols that the Catholic Church worships. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about saints. Now, a lot of these that they're talking about are very good godly people who have lived a godly life and who have gone on to heaven we don't worship them though there's no need to pray to them we have one advocate with the father one we don't need to pray to them and we don't need a priest in a closet okay so i mean that but i don't mean any disrespect if you have some people that are catholic in your family i have friends that are catholic don't make it right okay so that's not what is meant by saints here now jim said a saint 
is a believer in Christ. Someone who's been saved and born again. Okay? All right? So we're saints. If you have believed in Christ and you're saved and born again, you're a saint. So what is a martyr? In this context, yes. A martyr is someone who dies for their faith. Now, a, a martyr is not unique to Christianity. It's just not. There are people who die for other faiths. I mean, think about those, those guys that drove those planes into the trade center. You know, and I, I think I've talked about this before, but I heard Brother Tom Gillum talking about it. And, uh, you know, those guys, you know, they were Arabic, and they were looking for, I, I, I can't even remember, 70 virgins or something, I, I don't remember how many. When they crossed over, they found out there was a Jew in charge. And Brother Tom Gillum said, I can hear him say, ruh row right now. And that's funny, but it's also sad. It's too late. It's too late. But they were martyrs for their faith. Is that who they're talking about here? No. It says saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, those that have given their life for Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's any, as we're looking at this woman being the spiritual world system from days gone by all the way up to this time we're talking about, I think it includes all of them that she's responsible for here. I mean, Chris brought up Nero. Nero liked to light his garden by impaling Christians and putting, I don't know what he put, something on them and setting them on fire. That's exactly right. Roman candle. So, yeah. So, we see that there is a, at times a staunch opposition to Christianity. And I always think, why? I know it has to be. I mean, it, we read about it in the Bible. We read that it's coming, that it's here. But why? why? I, I, I asked you, why? Why is there such a staunch opposition to Christianity? I mean, do you not think, I know you're Christian, but do you not think that Christians make up some of the best uh, uh, citizens? Yeah. Right. And like you've said before, if they can see. So, you know, if you're a Christian, nobody knows that you're probably not in a whole lot of trouble. But nowadays, you're going to, we said it last week, nowadays you're going to be forced to choose. I mean, they're not going to let you sit idle anymore. Um, but, yeah, so friendship with the world is enmity with God. And I think the reverse is true. Friendship with God, a relationship, when you're walking in the Spirit and you're portraying that, it's enmity with the world. But I do think that. I think we don't, we don't want to lie. We try not to lie. We try not to steal we try to love our brother. Who would be better citizens? 
So it's not us because of these works, but I think it is. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. For those that can't hear, they're basically both saying the same thing. They're saying that the life you live, if it's the right life, causes actually conviction in in another person. And they don't like that. And so they want to stamp that out. Um, you know, back in Jesus' day, we read about, you know, how one tool that the Pharisees would use to try to get the Roman government to take Jesus, and, to, and they ended up doing it, was that saying he wasn't a friend to, to Caesar, and that his followers worshipped a different king than Caesar. And so that was a threat to the government. And so that too. But I think Miss Peggy's also right. It's it's a day it's an age old battle between God and Satan. It's always been, ever since the Garden of Eden. It's been that way. And it'll be that way long after I'm gone, unless the Lord comes back. And then it'll be that way at least, you know, about seven years after that. So it's always been that way. But she was drunk with the blood of saints and the blood of martyrs, and now we've identified who that is. And if you go back and read, you can read all about how I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to berate Catholics, but it's just what I studied. But, I mean, if you go back and look, you know, in things like the Middle Ages and things like that and look at the millions of Christians that the Catholic Church executed. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And you need to go back, and we'll probably talk about this some um, when, we, when we take another look down the road at, at why we use the King James Bible, but you go back and look at people like William Tyndall. I mean, we need to be thankful for William Tyndall. That's why we got what we have. He translated it for us. But back then, you know, they didn't want that. They wanted, people did not have a copy of the Bible in their hand that they could read and decipher for themselves. They were told, or rather not told, what it said by the religious authority of that day. And they liked that. They liked to be able to control the people in that way. Go ahead, I know you want, you want to say something. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So people have suffered for this Bible that we barely pick up and read. I think so. I think so. That's right, Miss Peggy. And so that's how things kind of come to be in the end times. You know, the church gets, that's it, we get lax. We get comfortable in the world. And then we see the world start creeping in. And before you know it, 
You can't tell any difference between the world and the church. And one of my pet peeves are, and I'm, hey, I'm one too, but a hypocrite. I, you know, that's what they say about, we've heard about many people. Well, I heard them say about Brother Kevin in Taylorsville. A guy got up preaching after he didn't say, I love Brother Kevin because he's the same no matter where you see him. And if you're that way, I appreciate it. We ought to be the same in here, in the office on Monday, at the ball field when our kids are losing. <laughs> Nothing, I mean, it just, you know, I try not to do that, but, you know, when I see somebody, you know, that I know is a, supposedly a member of a certain church and they're out and I hear them cussing and th- even cussing and things like that, immediately I think, eh, I don't know. Not my, just between them and the Lord. I'm just saying, their outward showing is not, at that time, Christ living in them. And it's hard. And we're not always going to do it. That's why the Bible says, you know, over there in First John, the Bible says, little children, I write unto you that you sin not. Don't sin. It's God's plan for us that we do not sin. Yes, that's his plan. Don't sin. Don't do it. But if you do sin, because he knew we are going to do it. If you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we are going to do it. We're going to sin. We're not perfect. Unbelievably, there are some people that believe that. They believe when you get saved, you don't sin anymore. They don't live in the same flesh I live in. I, how, how long do you think you can go without, don't say it out loud. How long do you think you can go without sinning? Can you go a day? Can you go, can you go an hour? I can go about six hours a day. You know why? Because I'm sleeping. And sometimes I can't even do that. A lot of time it's that one or a couple little sins that continue to just eat at us. Yeah, I thought about that this morning. You know, you got two, you got that, that was an Indian chief or something, some, somebody said, I feel like I got two dogs warring inside me. And the guy said, which, which one win, wins? He said, whichever one you feed. That's one that's going to win. I mean, that's why when I'm looking back here at Johnny because he was there. Man, when we left Taylorsville, whoo, we was all singing gospel songs on the way home. <laughs> Man, I was reading books and I was reading my Bible and it ain't even been a week and a half. And I've already been down, <laughs> finding myself back Almost where I was struggling to remain faithful to do those. Why is it that way? That flesh. You know, Paul said, and I cannot quote this because you'll get tongue-tied. I'm just going to say it in Jay's version. Paul said, those things I want to do, I don't do those things. Those things I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And then he said, oh, wretched man that I am. 
And that's the thing. A lot of times we don't see ourselves as that wretched man. We know we do what we shouldn't do, and we know we don't do what we should do. But a lot of times I find myself falling short of that last phrase and realizing, God, without you, I... Yeah. Yeah. We really should keep short sin accounts with God. We really should. Because it's just like, you know, sinning is, is, is like laying out a church, which I, I think is a sin. Um, you do it once, it's easier to do it the second time. When you do it twice, it's real easy to do it the third time. And then before you know it, yeah. Same thing with any sin, I think. You do it and you don't confess it, it's easier, to, it's easier to do it again. So anyway. Yeah, well, he knows. Yeah, he knows exactly what it takes. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, and if we would just respond to that Holy Spirit's urging... He's going to let us know, don't do that. Don't do that. Or if you do it, he's going to tear you up. Or he does me. I don't know about y'all. But these people that think they don't sin, they don't live in the same flesh I, I live in because I do. And we need the Lord. Um, I, I'm trying to think how we got off on that. <laughs> this one, oh, we were talking about Catholics. So... Uh, <laughs> Martyrs, you know, that's, that's one thing I think is a great proof. And I've heard a couple of different um, testimonies by former Muslims who came to know Jesus Christ. And when they would do all that investigatory stuff, one of the things that really stood out was the fact that the apostles would not deny their faith. None of them. And we know that 11 of them were martyred. And John at least was put in a vat of boiling oil and sent to the Isle of Patmos. And they, none of them, would deny their faith. And when you look at that, somebody, if it was fake, if it wasn't real, would have denied their faith. Not all of them would have been put to death. But they were all, all put to death. So martyrs. So we see that this woman is responsible for killing the saints of God, killing uh, the people of God and making them martyr. And John says, when I saw this, I, I wondered with great admiration. And don't forget that word admiration don't mean exactly what you think it means. It just means awe. I just stood in awe of what I was, what I was looking at. <clears throat> and so now we turn our attention. This will be very quick because we've already talked about it. To the beast that she sat upon. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> so he carried me away into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, seven, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, this beast is the same. We've already talked about this when we talked about the Antichrist. I know it's been a long time ago. We've already talked about it. This is the same beast we see in Daniel 7 and in Revelation chapter 13. So, real quick, Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. 
this beast that the woman sits upon had seven heads and ten horns. <clears throat> Revelation 13, 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having what? Seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon the heads, what? The name of blasphemy. And so, this is what we've already talked about. The Antichrist and that power that he will have in those last days. The only thing I really want to point out, let me get back to Revelation 17, is a little phrase in verse 3. It says, I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast. It appears that in the last days that the Antichrist and his political system will prop up this Babylon. And you can see Revelation, I've got it here, I'll just read it, Revelation 18, 9. When that physical city in that day is destroyed, the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail with her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Now, the religious side of this woman that sits upon a scarlet-colored beast, the great whore portion of her, I think they're going to use I just said I wasn't berating Catholics, and I'm not. But I think they're going to use the Catholic Church in the final days. That's my opinion. If you don't believe that, no problem. I think they're going to use it in in the final days. I don't know exactly how, but I think they're going to use that religion in the last days. And they're going to use it for their gain because... In verse 16, look at verse 16. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Now they have propped up this religious system and used this religious system, but now we see they're turning on it. What happened? No longer useful. What else? Anybody? Something happens. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Yes. Second Thessalonians chapter two. And we've talked about this. So we won't spend a lot of time here. We're going to finish Babylon in the next five minutes. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I can't find it. There we go. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind nor be tro- or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there shall come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed. Who is that? It's the Antichrist. The son of perdition. Who is that? It's the Antichrist. 
who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, yet with you I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he that now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. So you see in verse 4, the Antichrist in the rebuilt temple, and we've talked about that, it'll be rebuilt, goes into the temple and declares himself God. And there is no room any longer for anything else to be worshipped, they're going to turn on the religious system that they propped up because the religious system is now worshiping the Antichrist and his image. And they're going to utterly destroy anybody who will not do that. And so I think that's what it's talking about when it talks about these people turning on her. Of course, God uses that to turn Israel, I believe. I believe that's a moment in time. I think it happens right in the middle of the tribulation where Israel realizes what they've done. And then they've got to deal with it for three and a half years before the Lord Jesus comes back and they're converted. Now, what does all that mean? We'll talk about that when we talk about the second coming very soon. So this fall of Babylon, this spiritual world system, political world system, all these things that have gone on since the beginning of time, these anti-God political systems, the anti-God spiritual systems, they all will meet their doom one day. Now, the Antichrist does a good job of wiping it out, and then God wipes him out at the Battle of Armageddon. And so, we got that coming up. We've got the second coming. But first, the next thing we're going to talk about is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we don't know a whole lot about it. So there'll be a lot of opinion in there. But as we move out of Revelation 17 and 18 into Revelation 19, you can read that. You'll read about the Hallelujah Chorus. Revelation 19 is pinnacle. Hallelujah Chorus, Marriage Supper of the Lamb, Second Coming of Christ. All these things that have been prophesied. For so long, coming to fulfillment in Revelation chapter 19, and that's where we'll start next time. Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Mr. David, will you lead us in prayer?